Welcome to the Lifehouse Podcast. Our aim is that together we can love God, love others as we walk each step with Christ. We hope you find this message practical, encouraging and life-giving. Be blessed. Fantastic. That VIP team, they do a fantastic job. I know when I had COVID, I got a visit and uh, yeah, I certainly appreciated uh, the time and effort that they put into that. And uh, it's part of being part of the body of Christ, isn't it? It's part of who we are. Uh, yeah, so we're starting a new series, as was said, called The Edge. And uh, you might be wondering, is The Edge like a good thing or a bad thing? And it can kind of be both, can't it? I mean, uh, The Edge is where you get the best view, like, you know, for those that like to take photos or different things like that, my wife's always a bit concerned because I always like to go right up to the edge to get that sort of the, the best photo. If you're uh, on a boat, like on a yacht, like the, the edge is where you're going to cut through the water the best if you can get that yacht up on the edge. Um, yesterday, we were out with uh, Laps for Life, doing laps around the bend with with uh, with Scott, and uh, he's taking his uh, race car around the track, and the edge is the fastest place. Like he needs to know exactly where the the racing line is, and uh, it's not driving in the middle of the track. You got to go right to the very edge to you know get those quick lap times. But of course, the edge can be a good thing, but it's also often, as Jacob said, it can be a dangerous place as well. And uh, there was this time when I was on the edge of Kangaroo Island. I was a geologist at the time and I was uh, collecting rock samples from this cliff face. I had to get the rocks, you know, that were right on the edge of, of the cliff. And so I was halfway down this cliff and I'd already collected a series of rock samples. So I had about 20 kilos of rocks on my back on a backpack and I'm there and I'm sort of uh, chipping away trying to get, you know, my next uh, rock sample when all of a sudden the ground started to fall away beneath me and the weight was kind of pulling me back. And so uh, I almost fell to my death because I was on the edge. But when that ground does give way from underneath us and when we are on the edge can often be a good test as to what we reach out for to hold on to where our faith lies what what are we actually reaching out for what are we reaching out to for our sense of security when everything else in life fails So, without being on edge or falling off the edge. Well, here at Lifehouse, we believe that the Bible is more than just a fiction book. It's a, it's a factual history book. But it's also a book of the most beautiful poetry you've ever read. But even more than that, it's, it's a love letter from a father to his children. It's a compass that directs our path towards true north. It's a, it's a map that helps us to find our way home. It's an operations manual for life and freedom. And it gives us the edge to life and life eternal. Because when it comes to life, there are all of these forces, aren't there? We've known them, we've experienced them, we've felt them that are trying to pull us over the edge. That just like me on that cliff face, we can feel as though we are carrying a heavy weight and that the ground is giving way beneath us and we don't know where to stand. But the Bible promises us that we won't just make it through. We won't just 
get into heaven. We won't just escape the fires of hell, but actually promises us in John 10 that we can have an abundant life. Promises us that we will be conquerors and more than conquerors, or as this version puts it, triumphantly victorious. In other words, we won't fall off the edge, but we'll be given the edge, the edge in life, to the degree that we choose to be obedient to God's Word, to the degree that we choose to cling on to God's Word when all else fails. And I know that that triumphant life, that victorious life, that abundant life may not have been your experience, particularly in the last two and a half years. And sometimes we can be tempted to doubt our faith, doubt the goodness of God. But can I encourage you, don't let the gravity of the situations that you're facing pull you down and don't succumb to those forces, but instead reach out and grab hold of the firm foundation that can be found in God's Word. And that is the aim of our series that we're doing over the next, uh, the next three weeks. And so it is a practical series. Mark's going to be looking at having the edge when it comes to our relationships and different things like that. Then Tash is going to show us how we can have the edge in the way that we use our, our time and our talents, the gifts and purposes that God has given us. But this week, I'm going to be talking about having the edge in our finances, in the way that we use our money. Now, some of you hearing that a church is going to be talking about money, you start to switch off because you think the church just wants my money. That's what the world thinks. That's the way that people view things. But if money was my prime motivation as an individual, I probably wouldn't have become a pastor. Could have stayed as a geologist, even though it was precarious on those cliff faces. I was earning a lot more money there. Even if I had stayed doing teaching, I would probably be earning twice what I am now as a teacher. So being part of a church is not necessarily about getting money. And even the way that this church is run, as Jacob said... It's not about just getting money so that we can have it. Hopefully you've seen that over the last 32 years that this church has been in existence, that we have sown into kids and youth ministry, that we have invested into missions all over the world, that we've invested into church plants and uh, just this... Um, yeah, last uh, sort of week and a half, uh, we've managed to sign on a bit of a location for the Mount Barker Church. They've got a cafe area there and they're going to be opening that up in the next couple of weeks. But as a church, whether you know it or not, you've still been paying Jake's uh, wages for the past nine months to be able to establish that local church because we're not just about getting money for us, we're about investing into communities. But full disclosure, do I want you to give more money to this church? Yes, I do. <laughs> if our offering doubled next week, would I be happy? Yes, I would. But if the offering doubles, does that mean that my pay doubles? If I preach twice as long, does that mean that I get paid double? <laughs> or does it mean that, in actual fact, if we get more money based on past experience, does that mean more work for me? Because it's actually going to mean that we can plant more churches and see more outreaches and see more programs run and more people run to Christ and do more overseas in different missions. 
And so it's not really about, if we look at our motivation, is our motivation just to have more money? What's your motivation for why you give or why you don't? I mean, if you think that my motivation is so that I can have more and that the only way for me to do that is for you to have less, if when we walk out of this building, your wallet is empty and my wallet is full and we think that that is what a good church service is, then we've really missed the point, haven't we? But that's the only way that the world can actually work, where if we look at the currency of this world, that there is a limited amount of currency, and the only way that I can get more is if someone else has less. And so in actual fact, when we want more, when we become focused on consuming, it's actually at the expense of someone else. But the currency of heaven is totally opposite to that. Now, some of you love what questions, particularly when it comes to finances. So we're going to answer the what question first. What is a tithe? We've heard about it. We talk all about it. What is a tithe? And I have our key scripture for this uh, passage, and you would have heard it last week from David Heliard. So I actually programmed this um, series to flow on from uh, compassion coming in. This is their key verse in Leviticus 23:22. It says, "When you harvest your land's produce, you must not harvest all the way to the edge of your field. And don't gather every remaining bit of your harvest. Leave." These items for the poor and the immigrant. I am the Lord your God. So, if we are living our life to the edge financially, then when someone like me comes up and says, You need to tithe, well, all of a sudden, I'm cutting into the way that you live your lifestyle because we've paid the mortgage and we've, you know, we've paid for our food, we've paid for these different things where we're sort of doing things right to the to the very edge we've had to pay for our phones and our Netflix account and so uh, we've gone right to the edge but the Bible says very clearly that we're to give a tithe 10% literally is what it means to the church and we're to leave the edge also, on top of that, for the poor and the immigrant. And to kind of hopefully illustrate that, I'm going to need a, the help of a very beautiful blonde that's very close to my heart, that's not Belinda. Uh, but if, if she can come up here, please. Uh, we're just going to... For those that haven't met her before, this is, this is Lola. Hello. And uh, she's, you know how they say that um, people uh, look like their pets? Well, she's starting to get a bit bigger around the midsection, just like me. And uh, so we're actually believing that she is six weeks pregnant. And so in three weeks' time, we might have four puppies, we might have seven puppies, we might have ten puppies. But I said to Belinda, if we do have ten puppies and we end up, you know, selling them and making money, then, you know, that's income, and so we need to tithe on that. We need to give 10% to, to God. And so basically, if we have 10 puppies, one of them belongs 
to God. One of these puppies belongs to him. There's also a thing that can happen if you do have like big litters with 10 or, or so. Unfortunately, what can happen is oftentimes one of the puppies can sadly pass away. But that's okay because the dead puppy belongs to God. What? Why are you sad about that? Like, isn't that what we do with our finances? Don't we kind of go, if I, if I spend all my money and use it all up, uh, if there's a little bit left over at the end, then I'll give to God. If God blesses me and makes sure that there is life and only all life, then I'll give him that little bit extra. But if there's not enough or if there's something that has died, then that's what God gets. Do we, with our giving, always give God the dead puppy? Do we give him what's left over? Or do we give him what's first and what's best? We want to give God what's first and what's best. We never want to give him the dead puppy. Thank you. You can take her. You were very good. So don't harvest all the way to the edge. Make sure that you leave the edge for the poor, the immigrant, those in need in our community. But that before that, the first and the best should always actually be given to God. This is what the tithe actually is. It's not just 10%, it's the first 10%, it's the best 10% that goes to the house of God. But before you get too worried and thinking, well, if I've got to give the first 10% to God and I've got to leave the edge for the poor and, you know, things like, you know, I've got a couple of sponsor kids and I contribute to Cambodia and, you know, I've got to buy my Liberté and surely that should all come out of my tithe. I'm not going to have enough left for me if I give all of that. Does God actually want me to just be... Do we need to take a vow of poverty and enjoy nothing and never spend any money on ourselves and just wear brown, live in the mountains and eat cabbage for the rest of our life? <laughs> no. 1 Timothy 6 says, Command those who are rich in the things of this life not to be proud, but to place their hope not in such uncertain things as riches, but in God, who gives generously, who, who generously gives us everything for our enjoyment. Everything should be our, for our enjoyment. We shouldn't be looking at the edge and the little bit that we've got left over at the end and fearing giving that up. Edge for the poor and the immigrant. That God actually then says... Everything should be for your enjoyment. You should enjoy giving your money to God, to seeing where it's going, to seeing how it's contributing to life change. You should enjoy giving your money to things like compassion, having sponsor kids and, and uh, you know, to the poor and those in need in our community. But you should also enjoy all of the stuff in the middle too. It's okay. God has given us things to enjoy. He's given us money to enjoy that he doesn't just want us to have this poverty mentality. So, does the church want your money? Yes. Does the church just want your money? No. We actually want far more than that. But not from you for you. 
We want, God has given us everything for our enjoyment. So, that's the what. What a tithe is, what it encompasses. But now I want to tackle the why question. You see, what questions are not the start and finish of things? What questions are actually a measure of if the why has changed in our life? So we should actually always start with the why questions. And some of you are thinking, okay, Josh, but then why didn't you start with why? Why did you start with what? Because I think many of us actually fear the why questions. Most of society goes through life without ever asking the why questions. We kind of want to say, you know, what, what happened? Why, like, why were you so late? What, like, why... Why, why, why won't you pick your underwear up off the floor? <laughs> but we're kind of afraid of the answer if we phrase it in a why statement because what if, we, what if such little seemingly insignificant things, what if the answer to those why questions is because I don't love you and I don't want to be with you? We avoid the why questions because we're often fearful of the answer and so we just stick to the safe and easy what. We can manage the what. We can change the what. But can I encourage you, church, that in Christ, the why question is always so much better and leads us to a better place than the what questions. Let me give you an example. Remember the rich young ruler who came to Jesus with this what question? Matthew 19, it says, Master, what good thing must I do to secure eternal life? What is going to be Jesus' answer? No matter what he answers, because it's a what question and didn't start with a why, it's going to lead to a place of obligation he can only really answer like what good thing must I do well you must follow the 10 commandments which is Jesus response but that leads to obligation it leads to legality it leads to just blind obedience leads to religion but instead What's the why question behind that? Why can I be secure that I have eternal life? Why does God want me to have eternal life? Well, the answer to that then becomes very different because of the finished work of the cross of Jesus Christ that purchased it for you. There's not anything that you could do to secure it. Why do you want me to have eternal life? Because God actually wants to be with you. He actually, he actually not just loves you because he's obligated, he likes you, he appreciates being with you. So the what question led to law and obligation and legality, but the why question led to rest and peace and security and love and relationship. In Christ, the why question is always so much better than the what. Christianity isn't about rules it is about relationship but the only way that you will discover that you can approach christianity as a religion if you approach it with the what questions but to truly have the edge 
in life, we need to shift from the what, finances, the what is 10% to the church. The what is the edge to the poor and the needy, to those other organisations that do so much good. But if we stay there, we, we just become legalistic and we start to ask, do I tithe on before tax or after tax? I mean, if I have to give everything and uh, I just got my... My grandma just passed away and I got her dinner set. Do I have to bring in 10% of the plates? <laughs> we don't want to stay with that what. We want to go to the why. So the question is then, why should I be generous? Why? And the Bible gives us a beautiful answer, and I'm sure many of you have read it before, but maybe you haven't known that it was answering the question, this why question. Luke 14. It says, Jesus went to eat in the house of a well-known Pharisee. Jesus noticed how the guests picked their places of honour at the table. So he told them a story. He said, suppose someone invites you to a wedding feast. Do not take the place of honour. A person more important than you may be invited. If so, the host who invited both of you will come to you. He will say, give this person your seat. Then you'll be filled with shame. You will have to take the place of least importance. But when you are invited, take the lowest place. Then your host will come over to you and say, friend, move up to a better place. Then Jesus spoke to his host. Suppose you give a lunch or a dinner, he said. Don't invite your friends your brothers or your sisters or your relatives or your rich neighbours. If you do, they may invite you to eat with them. So you'll be paid back. But when you give a banquet, invite those who are poor. Also invite those who can't see or walk. Then you'll be blessed. Your guests can't pay you back. But you will be paid back when those who have God's approval, come back to life. There's an interesting thing about money, is that no one ever thinks that they have too much. No one ever thinks that they are greedy. Or that greed is a problem for them. I've been at staff, on staff here now for over 15 years as part of this church. And people come up to me almost on a daily basis asking for help with various things. Porn addictions, they've committed adultery, they're addicted to ice or heroin, addicted to alcohol... People come in wanting prayer for sicknesses and diseases, illnesses. They come in wanting advice on which job to take or who their future partner should be. Sometimes I even get people come in asking me how to do their maths and science homework. Almost on a daily basis, I get questions asking for help and advice. But never once in 15 years has anyone ever come up to me and said that they think that they have an issue with greed. And yet I think it's probably the most common need among all of us. But we don't see it. We don't see it in ourselves because we're so busy just trying to get to the next seat in this parable that Jesus is talking about. 
You see, money is an easy way for us to compare ourselves, and not just based on how much money we have, but how smart we are, how important we are, how, how and where we fit into our society. It's a, it's a measure for us and our worth. <clears throat> and so we're so busy trying to move up to that next seat, trying to work out how we're going to make more money, how we're going to achieve more, how we're going to do more, be more, have more, that we don't stop and ask, why? Why do I need to keep moving up? Why do I need the world's approval? So this story helps to explain it that Jesus tells. And I'm sure that many of you have been to a wedding ceremony before. And after the ceremony comes the reception and there's kind of this unwritten ranking that takes place, isn't there? So it's like, uh, you know, in the, in, right in the front, in the middle, is sort of the, the two most important seats. There's, there's the groom. Your bride is, is waiting. No proposal yet, but... She's sitting at the back there. But then, uh, then you have the bridal table, you know, the close family and friends. And so, like, you know, Walter, you're the best man. You've got the, got the jacket on today, all, all ready for that, looking sharp. And then you sort of go back, and then there's the next table, which is, you know, generally like the family, you know, and, and their friends. And then, like, the next table, and so it goes on down the line. Until you get to like the end table, which is like the kids' table, <laughs> and the people that you don't know kind of what to do with, kind of, you know what I mean? There's this, there's this ranking kind of system that takes place. And then, like, so you, you sort of make a list of people like one to a hundred and where they fit, how close they are to you, and then you get assigned your table based on that number. And then there's this other list of people who, like, if some of those people say no and there's, like, a spare seat here or there, maybe someone else, like, you know, maybe in this case it's the people watching online that didn't, you know, you didn't get a seat. And so, like, you kind of go, well, then those people might get a seat, but they can come to the ceremony but not to the reception. And then there's other people that didn't even make the list at all. They're not, they're not on your list and so there's this whole thing that takes place at a wedding, isn't there? And Jesus is talking about that. And he's also saying that not only did that happen at weddings, that in Jesus' day they would have these feasts, these suppers, these different things that would take place. And the same kind of thing would happen, except when the people got there, there was no table numbers, there was no place settings. But where you sat, was based on how much money you earned, how many assets you had. And so, like, you know, if you, if you earned, like, you know, maybe $30,000, you could be on this table. If you earned $60,000, you could be on this table. And the same thing again, you know, the students and the kids, like, that don't earn anything, that don't contribute, they sort of had to sit far away and then, of course, there was the poor and the blind and the lame that never got invited because they were no good to anybody. And so this is the setting that Jesus is coming into and he's speaking about and he's kind of saying, the thing is, is that you're all trying to work out where you rank rather than asking why you belong. And depending on who was throwing the party would depend on even if you got invited. Different hosts would have different groups of guests that would come along just like at a wedding. And so like, you know, 
If the person had this level of social standing, well, you might be invited along, but you might be further back. And then if it was a bit worse party with worse people, like you might get to move up and get to be closer to the front, closer to the host. But these were vitally important for working out social ranking and to be able to climb your social ranks. This was the time, this was the place where if you wanted to move up, you could do it because you could talk to the people that were up above you and you could get from the people that were below you. So this was your opportunity. This was your moment to move up. But then this guy, Jesus, comes along and says, do you want me to give you the edge on how to make the most of these dinners? And everyone thought, yes, we, we, need to know, we, we want the edge. We want the inside scoop. We want to know how we can climb up, how we can advance. So they're all sitting on the edge of their seats, wondering what can we, how can we advance socially? How can we get more, be more, do more? How can we get a seat closer to the front? And he said, okay, you know all those poor, blind cripple people that never make the cut invite them I mean if you were the host this would be considered falling off the edge socially falling off the edge financially because these banquets would cost a lot of money and you would only invest that money if you knew that you were going to make it back and more so with the deals that you could do at that party, at that celebration. I mean, even giving up 10% would mean moving backwards. Why would we ever do that? Why would we ever move backwards? We need a better seat than we had at the party before. We need a better seat than we had the year before. We need to advance we need to be going forward with our finances and it sounds just like us but surely this was the worst advice ever so why did Jesus give it unless he knows something that we don't why would we give up that seat unless there is a better seat that we could get without cost? The other thing that happens pretty well on a monthly basis this time for the last 15 years is people ask me to preach about end times. They want to know, what's the edge? We, we, we need the edge. We need to know, when it comes to end times, is there an invitation for me at that marriage supper of the Lamb? But you know, the interesting thing in 15 years of working here, even though I probably only speak on money once a year, and even though Jesus actually spoke on this more than any other topic, way more than end times, no one ever asked me to speak more on money. And they especially never asked me to speak more on giving to the poor. Which is odd because this passage, as well as many others, store up your treasures in heaven, not here on earth. But these passages say the best way to prepare for end times is by giving to the poor. The question is why? Why does that help us to prepare for end times? How does that get us a way in? Does it buy us a seat at the table? Does it prove that we have Faith that there is something after death, poor, if 
we know why we have a seat at the table. So some of you want to go, so why do we have a seat at the table? I mean, you said based on who's throwing the party and how rich they were would determine if you got invited at all. And then if you did get invited, it would determine what seat you got. But what if there was a party so great? What if there was a party so wonderful? What if there was a marriage that was so important? That not just a king, but the king of kings. What if it was his celebration? What if there was a party so amazing that even the richest, most righteous person on earth would never get invited? If such a party, if such a celebration, such a feast did exist and the richest person could never, the most righteous person, the most holy person could still never get invited, then what hope do we have? Because no matter how hard we work, no matter what we own, no matter what we strive for, no matter what we do, we are never going to earn our seat at that table. And I guess if there was such a host, then compared to him, we would be the blind, the poor, and the cripple. So, hang on a minute, hang on. Jesus is actually saying to us, when we stop striving, when we stop comparing, when we stop consuming and stop hoarding and stop trying to earn our seat in front of us, will we actually see that maybe, just maybe, God is like the host that Jesus is talking about. And even if you are the poorest person, the lamest person when it comes to being righteous and following after the things of God. Maybe nothing based on who you are or what you can achieve or what you deserve, but maybe there is still an invitation for you, for me, not based on who we are, but based on who the host is that is throwing this celebration, that is throwing this party, that based on his nature and his character, would that change everything about how you're trying to get ahead? Would that change how you spend your money when you don't just ask what, but when you discover why? Hebrews 11 Sorry, Hebrews 13, verse 5 says, Don't love money. Be satisfied with what you have. I said that in Christ, the why is always so much better than the what. But then, Josh, haven't you just said that being a Christian needs, means that we need to recognize that we are poor, that we are blind, that we are crippled. So why should I be satisfied with what I have? What do I have then? Let's read the end of the, of the passage. For God said, I will never fail you. I will never abandon you. We have him. We have him. We have an invitation to the party. You have an invitation to the party. But it gets better. Because what seat do you have? 
in the parable that we read, the host says to someone at the party that took a high seat, it says, give this person your seat. Ask the person that was sitting down in that place to be removed from that place of honour and given the place of shame. So how does that statement give this person your seat? Who, does that, who, is, who is the host talking to? Because I thought we just said that no one, not even the wealthiest, not even the most holy person, no one on earth can earn or deserve a seat, an invitation at this party. This is not just a banquet. This is the banquet of, of banquets. This is not just a wedding feast. This is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. This is the marriage supper of the Lamb. No one is worthy. So who is giving up their seat? There's only one. There's only one who was worthy to be there. His name is Jesus Christ. He was the only one worthy to be at that, at that marriage supper of the Lamb. Yet He gives up His seat. He was abandoned. He was despised. He was cast out. He gave up His seat for you, for me. The invitation is not just so that you can just make it in and sit on the edge, be on that, that last seat into heaven that maybe someone, if someone better, someone more skilled is going to come along and maybe kick you out. Maybe you're not seen as acceptable. No, you're not just on the edge. You're invited in to sit at the head table. That you, are, you can be as close to God as you choose to be. Because Christ was rejected, we are accepted. He gave up His seat for us, not because we deserve it, but because we are poor, blind, and lame but because He is good and He loves us. Will we stand together, church? I know that there are people here that feel as though they are totally undeserving of God's love. you're right but it's not about you it's not about what you have it's not about your striving it's all about him and I want every single one of you to know when you walk out those doors that there is an invitation for you that there is a seat that you have that was paid for by the blood of Jesus that was paid for by his rejection the question is how far from the edge do you want to come in how close do you want to come in because he wants you close so church let's pray Father God, we, we're just so overwhelmed by your love, by your generosity. Father God, we are blown away by the fact that although we are poor and blind and crippled, although we can bring you nothing, you are you invite us 
each and every one of us to come in all the way in all the way into your love and your presence Father help us to not just ask those what questions and end up in a place of religion to not just look to the person sitting ahead of us in that seat asking what do I need to do to get that seat when there is a banquet a feast the marriage supper of the lamb with an invitation with our name on it paid for by the blood of Jesus Christ and not just any seat a seat at the head table so Father now we leave behind us all the fears of this world, all the worries, the bills, the, the mortgages, the phone bills, the Netflix accounts. Lord, all of that pales into comparison when we see just how much you loved us, just how much you would pay to have us with you. So, Lord, right now, help us to come all the way in and be with you now. Let's worship, church. Thank you for joining us this week. If you wish to connect with us, please send an email to info at life.house or come and see us at 170 Adelaide Road, Murray Bridge. And remember, the door is always open for you at Lifehouse. God's house, our home.